Do you like Asian men? No. Thank you. I feel like he hasn't seen like an Asian man before. It's like he, yeah, that's very accurate. I think he, Steve Harvey, I don't think he sees between his mustache. Yeah, because guys, let's list some of our favorite Asian male lead actors. <laughs> John Cho. <laughs> um, ooh, Daniel Henley. Oh my God. I literally spent one time just watching any of his films, um, even the non-American ones, like the ones he did a movie in China with Fan Bingbing, and I was just like, this is so random, but I'm watching it. It was really cute. Danielle? Uh, Harry Shum Jr. Yes. Yes, that's a really good one. He can dance, he can sing, he is an all-around person. Happy 2017! You're listening to Not Seen on TV on CJRU 1280 AM in Toronto. I'm Oriana Wong. I'm Danielle Lee. And I'm Isabel Docto. In this episode, we're answering the question, why are there no Asian male leads on screen? Steve Harvey's unsavory joke shows a wider implication of how Asian males are perceived by society. And we can thank mainstream media for perpetuating the racist stereotypes on screen. It seems that Hollywood only sees Asian males as geeky, fresh off the boat and unattractive. Which is way far from what John Cho is. But why are Asian males typecasted in these stereotypical roles? We talked to Millie Tom, a casting director in Toronto, to get a behind-the-scenes look at the casting process and what is preventing Asian male leads from getting in the spotlight. I guess if you could start, maybe walk us through your process for casting and uh, kind of let us know, like, how does it work when you go into a casting? Do you look for what you think might work for the director or the filmmakers? Or um, do you do specifically the details that they provide you? So essentially, I, I'm, hired by the pro- I'm hired by the production, and then I read the script. Um, and I do essentially what's kind of like a high school book report. Um, you know, you list all the characters, you write descriptions for them, you do a synopsis, and then I send that out to the agents. And then the agents, basically, uh, there are two breakdown services in Toronto. Uh, there's no secret to this. Like, all the agents receive the breakdowns. And then they submit their clients that would fit for each of those descriptions. And then I get all the submissions. And then in terms of the how what I think in terms of, like, casting a project, usually I'll read a script and I have an idea of who I want uh, or who I think will work. Um, again, casting is an extension of storytelling. So sometimes I can read a script and go, oh, you know who would be perfect for this role? This person. And I can picture it in my head. Now, again, casting is very subjective. I am one of probably 25 to 30 casting directors in the city. Uh, I'm also not one of the top 10. So we all, and we all have our own opinions and we all see the characters very differently. It's the same thing with uh, the actors. We all have perceptions of the actors. And so one actor can come in and I think he's like a villain. And another casting director could see that same actor and be like, oh, he's dreamy, he's a leading man. So again, it's very subjective. And I think that's that's the interesting thing about when productions are hiring casting directors. Hopefully they're hiring somebody that gets their storytelling, that uh, understands the tone of the project, um, and sort of sees the bigger picture of, of how the, the cast will, will fit. 
So how important is diversity on screen to you when it comes to casting? For me, because I am Asian and, you know, it was one of those things where I grew up in the 70s and 80s and it was hard, like it was hard to find Asians on screen. I think Margaret Cho makes this joke um, where the first Asian she ever saw was a like a hooker on MASH. And I'm like, and I keep thinking back to you know, anytime I saw an Asian on screen, I was, you were drawn, right? Like, that, again, for me, it was, you want to see yourself on screen. You want to see yourself represented on screen. So I think that was interesting for me. Look, I do, I feel a responsibility just to to have the story feel real. And again, a lot of the projects we do in Toronto are very Indigenous projects. They're Canadian stories. They're, you know, Toronto representing Toronto, you know, then it really should be sort of, a cross-section of, of colors and, and and types of people like it's funny there are a couple of shows that are that shoot Toronto for Toronto I won't name them but I'm always amazed when I watch those shows going really how is it that it's a hospital in Toronto and there are no Asians like if you walk into any of the hospitals in Toronto including the Mount Sinai's of the world you're gonna see that usually they're very Asian like the nurses are predominantly like I've noticed uh, Filipino so I'm just like really we didn't have any even including in the extras and that sort of angers me but again I'm not the one casting and I you know but it's one of those things where I think it has to be a true representation. But again, I am limited by the story. And I think it's interesting, too, because writers always feel the need to, uh, I can't even think of the word properly, but like apologize or explain. Like I was doing a horror film, and it is an independent, low-budget horror film. We were looking for a child actor. We were having, we were struggling with, with the child. And I was just like, I don't know where, like, if I can't get this child, I'm freaking out. And I was like, but I knew this really interesting Asian child. And I was like, why couldn't she have been adopted? I mean, it happens. I, there, there are tons of, like, children that are adopted from Asia all the time. And this family could, like, it's, it, you know, it's a an upper middle class family, they could have gone to Asia and adopted her. And then they were like, oh, but then we have to throw, you know, then we have to explain that. And you're like, all right. So that's tricky. But again, part of that is storytelling. So one of the things we're exploring in this episode is kind of how there there's a lack of Asian male leads in a mainstream media. Um, recently, Steve Harvey kind of uh, said this kind of very racist joke about um, how like Asian males are kind of um, not attractive to women. Um, and I think that kind of expands wider into um, kind of like mainstream media and how Asian males are portrayed in movies as, you know, the geeks, people who are just like fresh off the boat. Or um, And I was wondering what you thought of that and how that goes into casting. I didn't hear the joke. I mean, I saw stuff on Facebook and stuff about it, and I sort of deliberately sort of distanced myself from it. You know, for me, when I think about casting, and especially leading men, it's, do you want to watch them for an hour and a half? Do you want to watch them leap tall buildings? I grew up watching Hong Kong cinema. I was I was a huge Jackie Chan fan and Bruce Lee, and, um, and I loved Donnie Yen. And so for me, it's a tricky thing because in my head, I've never not seen hot Asian leading men. Like I sort of grew up on hot Asian leading men and having my crushes on my Hong Kong movie stars. Um, but I think it's interesting though, the the aesthetic, right? I mean, I think part of this is also a sociology thing, right? When we walk down the street, we often see the white male with the hot Asian girl. 
it's a tricky thing on the reverse, right? I think we can all say that there are really attractive, handsome Asian men. I've always, like, I always thought Daniel Day Kim was hot. I was like, in what world is Daniel Day Kim not a leading man? And he is. And I mean, that's the thing, right? The only thing is, you know, he stayed in Hawaii, and why wouldn't you? And that's where he's going to stay for a while. You know, he's now got a production company, and that's the wonderful thing. And I, I think you have to go back to the storytelling, the producers, and the creators. You know, I do think people want to see themselves represented, and I think that is going to change. And I think, look, even storytellers, right? I mean, the fact is, look, even in Canada, the fact is last year, Blood and Water and Kim's Convenience came out of Canada. That's pretty phenomenal. Like, Asians have been in this country for how long? Like, we built the railroads, for God's sakes. Like, it took that long to finally have these create these stories being told. I mean, I remember CBC did a miniseries called Dragon Boys, uh, many moons ago, like probably maybe t probably about ten years ago, and it was essentially about the Vancouver, uh, sort of the Vancouver Triad. But I mean, the fact is, the stories are there. It's gonna who's gonna tell them and who's gonna put the people in, them, who's gonna cast them. Um, and I think it happened a lot more in Vancouver, where Asians got a, a chance to sort of do a lot more. Like Asian performers got a chance to be on film and television a little more, just because there were more in the talent pool. But then um, how do you see that in Toronto? Like, what do you think of Toronto's talent pool? Do you think we have that ability to do it just because we've been known to be multicultural, but not necessarily like Vancouver, where it's pretty Asian central as it's on the Pacific and all that? I love the talent pool in Toronto. I think we have some really, really great untapped talent. I do wish, uh, I wish some of the other casting directors had a bit more of an open mind. Look, the fact is, as for an actor, I think it's important for an actor to continue working their craft. I mean, I think it's the same thing as an athlete or a musician. You have to practice every day. There's no like, oh, I'm not, I'm not shooting today, or I don't have to go to an audition today. So, so I think it's important for the actors to sort of wrap their heads around the fact that it's a job, and you're going to have to practice your craft. Uh, in the same vein, I think there is no reason why some of the talent pool in this city isn't doing more. Like I know, like a lot of the producers are, or some of the casting directors, or some of my peers would say, oh, well, that person's not good enough. That person just hasn't, doesn't have enough experience or that person's not good enough to carry the series. Okay, but how, when will that person ever get the experience to do that if we're not sort of giving them opportunities and giving them chances and allowing them to hone their chops. Yeah, I think there's like a catch 22 because um, how people say like uh, actors of color, like Asian actors can't be leads because they won't be able to drive the sales or whatever. But how would you know if you haven't tried and and like from the start, the industry hasn't built them up anyways because there's always white actors. Absolutely. Like that's what I love about Vancouver. I love the texture is different because Vancouver actors, regardless of what color they are, they actually get an opportunity to audition for guest star lead roles on the shows that are there. In Toronto, it's much harder. Much, much harder. Or they do, like we audition them, but you kind of fake audition them because the you, we just have to permit them for the union. They're going to bring up an American, but in the meantime, you have to prove to the union that you did the search in Toronto. And I said, it's so crappy because I'm like, you legitimately want these people to have 
opportunities and you want them to be able to cut their teeth. And look, there are some really, really handsome and gorgeous Asian actors in the talent pool here, like both female and male, I'm gonna say, and they're extremely talented. So it's a shame that they don't get the same opportunities that they would, and that unfortunately, in a way, like I have a friend who's South Asian, and he's beautiful, he was this, I mean, the first time he ever walked into my room, he was this Adonis, it was like, dude, like he could absolutely work in Bollywood. If he had the language skills, he absolutely would've worked in Bollywood. And then he got a green card, but here in Toronto, Nobody saw him as a lead. He was gorgeous. He's six foot one. He's so gorgeous. And it was only when he went to LA that he started getting guest star roles on American shows. And you're like, what? And here in Toronto, he couldn't, he could barely do a bit part. He ended up getting, there was a, a pilot that got picked up and, well, that didn't get picked up. And he ended up being part of the ensemble and the pilot. So when, when I was trying to contact a casting director for my, when I initially talked to you before, um, there was a lady who said that you were like one of the only casting directors who aren't Caucasian, and you're the only Asian one. Is that only in Toronto? And can you explain how, um, I guess, does that reflect the industry behind the scenes as well? I do believe, yes, that I am the only Asian casting director in Toronto. I'm pretty sure I am. In terms of diversity, there is another, uh, there's another biracial casting director. Uh, Nicole Nicole Hilliard Ford, um, and she just produced. She's also a producer, and she did the the other one with Tatiana Maslany. Um, yeah, I think that's it. I think that's about all of us. <laughs> um, the industry in Toronto is small. It's a very niche craft. It hasn't been easy. Again, like I said, I'm not one of the top ten casting directors. I wish I was. I mean. It's a small industry. I think people work with the people that they know. People work with the people they like. People work with, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And I think that's exactly what's happening here. So I don't, you know, I don't begrudge the industry. I just think I have to stay. And I'm like, I'm determined to stay. Part of it is I stay because I love it. And I love what I do. And I love the talent pool. And I love the actors. And I'm very passionate about what I do. So I'm staying. And yeah, I might starve. <laughs> I probably will starve for my craft, but. And I, it's important to me. And, you know, like, uh, for example, on Kim's Convenience, I was co-casting with another casting director and I was not invited back to season two. Uh, it's heartbreaking. I like to think I worked really hard on that show. And I am so grateful that Ince and the producers took a chance on me because I have to be honest with you, I blew that interview. Like, I walked out of that interview and went, well, I just blew that and just went, they're just going to go with another casting director. And then they found a compromise where I would co-cast with, in fact, she's my mentor, and I would co-cast with her. So we did it together, which is incredible. And we create, you know, we brought this cast together. And look, but I am going to say, Ince Choi did a lot of that casting. Like, a lot of what you see on that screen is a lot of Ince's uh, input, a lot of people that he knew. So... You know, and again, that's part of him just in that community. Being one of the few um, Asian casting directors, did you think that had an effect on you, like, go, um, growing up in the industry? Uh, no, I mean, I've never thought being Asian has ever held me back. I like to think being Asian just helps me tell the stories better because I can relate to the fact that I want diversity in the storytelling. You're sort of like, okay, so I always do the, okay, so which of these roles can be colorblind? 
can we color? Can we blind cast? Look, the fact is, I go to a producer, director, and a writer, and I say, if budget was not an issue, who would you cast? And then I'm like, okay. A lot of people tell stories from the heart, right? Like, Ince Choi told Kim's convenience from what he knew, from his community, from his growing up. Uh, those are his stories. So yes, why is it a Korean convenience store? Well, because he grew, he's Korean and he grew up in that, you know, someone around him had a convenience store. You know, I think as, as a whole, it, it's got to come from the create, from like right from the creation to the, to the networks. I am going to say that one of the, I think one of the downfalls about Canadian, like what's wrong with Canada and the, uh, and what we're seeing on screen is the network executives, because those are ultimately the ones that are saying yay or nay to these people. And again, I don't know because I've never, I've never been in a network executive meeting where, you know, they're just going, how about this person and this person? And then the discussion about why, why person A doesn't get the role, but person B does or vice versa. Uh, but I do feel like, look, why aren't we seeing more diversity on that screen? It isn't, I don't know that it's not in the casting. I think it's part of it is in the on the production side where look are the producers seeing it and are they telling those stories and b those network executives and I think at the end of the day it's the network executives who have the final say. So have you ever had a time uh where you had a disagreement with the director about you know um what makes sense that it should be Maybe not someone Caucasian, but someone of color and someone maybe definitely Asian um, for this role. Like, have you ever fought a little bit I, harder to... I don't know that it's about... I don't know if it's been about me fighting for diversity. It's been... It's usually a struggle just in general for casting because in you know again it's subjective in my head it was like it has to be this person this person is so brilliant this person is a genius i love this i love this i love this and then they're like no -uh. and it doesn't fit their storytelling i do remember i was working on a on an independent film and it was just like there were four leads in the entire film and i really wanted there was this uh mixed asian actor and i just i thought when i read the script it was him it was so perfect. And I was like, why? Like, and we screen tested and we did chemistry reads. And I was like, why, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? And why wouldn't you use him? He's so charming and he's so, and you know, at the end of the day, the, the, the it was a director, writer, producer. He did it all. And he, he actually had the, he justified it perfectly and he said, because he is in his 20s and I am telling a story about somebody in his 30s. And I was like, how can I argue with that? Like, this is his story. And ultimately it was sort of autobiographical for my, my, my writer. And I was like, I can't argue with that. Like, and at the end of the day, he made the movie his way. And it's his movie. Look, at the end of the day, he put up all the money. He did all the work. As a casting director, my job is to provide options and choices. I will always try and tell the story with the best and yet sometimes and I will say look sometimes the best is going to be a Caucasian actor and it breaks my heart but sometimes it will be but I will always try and put diversity in there where and when I can and part of that is you know the one the wonderful thing about growing up in Toronto and living in Canada is that we do have this wonderful multifaceted. like it's not just black and white 
I think for me, the hardest thing is this whole whitewashing. I think it is heartbreaking to watch Caucasians play Asian roles, but I do think it's business. I think when it comes to business, the money will always talk. And I think that's just a fact. And I think, look, think vice versa, right? Look at what happens when you put Matt Damon in what could have really been an Asian action hero in an Asian story, and yet it's money, right? You want worldwide sales. You want Americans, or like, not Americans, but North Americans, like Caucasians, don't we want our stories to be seen by Caucasians? Yeah, like at the end of the day, you just want them to be seen, period. So if this is the way they chose to do it, okay, it's, we don't, do we love it? I don't know, like I haven't seen the movie. I'm gonna, I'm curious. I have a crush on one of this, the Asian actors in it, one of the Chinese actors. So yeah, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna buy a ticket for that movie, not to see Matt Damon, not to see him fight monsters, but to see all the rest of the cast that I really love and adore. And it's not like Zhang Yimou isn't, like he's a genius director. So you know it's gonna be epic and you know, if anything, you, like maybe it's a bit of, we're gonna have to, it's like we see theater. We'll have to suspend our disbelief. We'll have to just sit back. We'll have to bear Matt Damon. And you know, and that's it. And I, yeah. Yeah, I think the whitewashing is the hardest thing to, to sort of deal with as an, just as an Asian and as a casting director. And hopefully, as we move to into the future, we can see more ensembles. Do you know where you're gonna put, you know, the Donnie Yens into like a, 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 an amazing ensemble and just be like, okay, now it's gonna be a blockbuster. And yeah, and I just wanna wanna go back to, we were talking about, I think one of the original questions was about the, the Steve Harvey going, leading from the Steve Harvey joke about how Asian men not being handsome enough or whatever, right? And you go, okay, so here's an interesting thing. Godfrey Gao was Magnus in the Shadowhunters film. And then you have um, Ludi Lin, who's na he's the Black Power Ranger in the new Power Ranger movie coming up. And you like you look at those two and you go, okay. So in Asia, they've always had this amazing female f following. But what's interesting is when I see them, they're very, uh, there's like a, a, a feminine, there's like an asexuality to them, right? Men love them, women love them. It's an interesting, there's like a softness to them, right? They're not your typical, when we think about like American leading men, right? And that's kind of the way, especially if we were brought up in North America, that's kind of the way we look at men, right? We look at, they've gotta be rugged, like Daniel Dakin, you know, like John Cho is like the charming, he's the one you'd marry, you know, like just like, it's like when you think about that, right? But then you got, you've got someone like Godfrey Gao, Ludi Lin, who are just like, to me, they're just like, they're models. So it's an interesting thing when we, with the perception of leading men, right? Because look, in Asia, there have been leading men for centuries. And again, it's a different way we perceive. In Toronto, I think given Kim's convenience and blood and water, I think it's just gonna have to change because you're gonna need to find leads for that. And also they don't have the budgets where they can just go and grab, hey, let's just get, Ken Jong to come and do, or Randall Park to come and do, you know, a cameo. And maybe they will. I mean, look, hopefully budgets get bigger as shows get more popular, right? But hopefully also, you don't need to. Do you know, the fact is, the shows stand on their own. If you as the casting director can't always be the one to, or you working in 
behind the scenes can't always be the one to persuade and change um, what's going to end up on screen. Do you think the onus will be on us, the consumers, or is it the onus on just more creators being of color so that there's more shows that are about people of Asian Um, and different descents? I think it comes down to storytelling. I think the storytellers need to. So yeah, hopefully it is people of, of, of color that are telling these stories. Like look, again, we go back to Ince Choi who created Kim's Convenience. Kudos to him. This was a story that was very personal to him. It was originally just a fringe play and it's just, it's blossomed. And he's telling a story that he knows. I think it's important like when we talk to writers and creators, right? They're Hopefully they're telling stories that they know or that they're researching the crap out of. And I think that's really important. So again, part of it, absolutely the consumer, right? Let's, let's face it, Kim's Convenience had really good ratings. I mean, I did an open call for Kim's Convenience for in the, within the Korean community, or we did an open call. And it was incredible to me how the people that came out were all so supportive and they were like, we're so thrilled, Korean story, we are all gonna watch it. And in fact, I always get people telling me that they watch it with their families. It's like nine o'clock, Tuesday night, they all gathered around the television or they they DVR'd it or PVR'd it and gathered around and watched it together as a family. And that's, that's pretty incredible. Like the fact is, the community is rallying. So therefore, um, the community is watching it and the community is demanding it. And I think that's what's gonna, ha- what's gonna have to happen. Look, Canada doesn't have a star system, uh, like in, in America. So we always gonna champion the Canadians, right? It's the same thing when you watch, you know, yay, Ryan Gosling, hope you win an Oscar. Look, we're gonna want that for the Asian leads, right? Kim's Convenience was nominated for 11 Canadian Screen Awards. And I pray you know, you just, you want, like, just, come on, one Asian, just one of them has to, you know, like, Jean, Andrea, Andrew, or Paul, please, one of them, please win. We're all going to be rallying for one of them to win just because it's like, yeah, but they might not because it's, it's just chock full of really good, amazing talent. It's also voted on by peers. Did they do the best work? You know, like, I am so proud of Paul. Paul has been a series lead in Canada at least twice I know of. Train uh, Train 48 and um, Kim's Convenience. Come on. Who would have thought? Like, in this country? Like, damn straight. Good for kudos, you know. Um, And, you know, and he's a very different actor than Byron Mann. Very different. Um, And different, completely different than Simu, you know. But, again, it just goes to show, you're not necessarily going to have to be that good-looking, hot, steamy, you know, you can be, like, I, I always, I look to Ken Jong as much, as silly as he is, I love that he's proving that, you know, he can hold his own with the Steve Carells of the world, and, you know, like, look, he was on screen with Bradley Cooper, for God's sakes, and he held his own, I mean, come on, I, again, I think as long as those actors are doing their work, and doing the best craft that they can do as long as we're all doing our the best that we can do it's gonna happen and i think just because times are changing and the demand is changing so what did you guys think of what millie has said about uh, her i think as a person who watches these movies um from my perspective i'm always like but why isn't there an asian person in there or 
like it, it could be so easy but hearing from her perspective and hearing all of the barriers and kind of the red tape that there might be um, and especially her emphasizing how it really depends on the, the producer or the writer's story that they want to tell it, it like it shows like the nuances of why it might be difficult and I kind of have a respect for her as someone who is trying to you know increase diversity in the industry as much as she can yeah and the fact that it's always about storytelling as she always said and the fact that there's no Asians it's like as if there's no room for Asians in anyone's stories so which really emphasizes the fact that more people of color and Asians need to create their own stories so that they can get their own stories out into the world Listeners, what are your thoughts on Asian male leads? Tell us some of your favorite Asian male actors on Twitter or Facebook at NSOT Podcast. Until next time, I'm Danielle. I'm Oriana. And I'm Isabel. And we're not seen on TV. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at NSOT Podcast for updates on our show and who might be our next guest. This episode features music by Kids Waste and Nori and Blue Dot Sessions. 